Hey, Three Crosses family, Pastor AJ here back on the Going Deeper podcast. Today, we are going over Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31, and we're talking about the song Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. We got a great episode for you, and so with that, let's go deeper. Joining us here in the podcast studio, and it's going to be for the next two weeks, is Pastor Ryan Suzuki. Pastor Ryan, welcome back to the studio. It's great to be here. Today, we're going over Romans chapter 3, and uh, you brought out the song Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder, and I loved your uh, little story about the Stevie Wonder concert and you and your wife. I thought that was fun. But uh, yeah, Higher Ground, and that's the theme of this conversation and um, before we jump into the text, I think our longtime listeners will know that my first question is usually always about context. So what exactly is going on at the church in Rome? Because it seems like Rome is a very important city to the first century. And so it feels like this letter carries a lot of weight for people. So could you help us understand what exactly is going on at the church in Rome? Yeah, so in Rome, Rome, I mean, of course, is the center of the ancient world at this time. I mean, it is the seat of power. It's where Caesar is. It's this place where Paul has been endeavoring to go and to uh, proclaim the gospel. It's a metropolitan city. It's all these different things, a diversity. And Paul's speaking to the church in Rome, um, really answering a question that comes up throughout the New Testament, throughout the scriptures. What does it mean uh, to be in, into the family of God, into the people of God? What does it mean uh, to be a part of the kingdom of God? And in Rome in particular, you think about this metropolitan area, the big question in the early church was, how how Jewish do you have to be? Of course, um, Christianity, Jesus was a Jewish man. He was born, he's born to a Jewish family. The Jewish people were God's people, their, his chosen instrument, to proclaim his goodness, to draw the nations, to bless the nations. And now there's this question, and there, you know, if you know the Old Testament, if you've read any of those things, if you've had any of that context <clears throat> in a church service or something like that, you know there's Ten Commandments, there's all the laws of the Old Testament, there's all these uh, kind of standards and rules and practices, and the people of the church are wrestling with how much of that do we still need to do? And so in this, in this, in all of Romans, Paul is talking about what is essential to the faith. And leading up to chapter three in our kind of verse today, Paul's reminding us, um, starts off with a, uh, that we'll live by the righteous people who follow Jesus will live by faith. You know, we talked about that even in chapter one, but really set, spends a lot of time showing us how, um, our own, all of humanity's fallenness, how we don't measure up, how we don't do the right things, how inevitably we always fall short of the glory of God and his sin, uh, and we sin and we fall short of his standard. And so we get to chapter, there kind of is this growing sense um, in one and two is, okay, if that's the case, if that's the case, if we're so messed up, if we're, you know, there's a theological term that people use, uh, you may have heard before, total depravity, if we're totally depraved, if we're unredeemable in and of ourselves, how does it all happen? So that's kind of the tension that's been growing in the first two chapters of Rome, Romans. Right. I think uh, so often that people approach the book of Romans as this like theological treatise. Yeah. And uh, the context illuminates a lot of things because Paul seems to be hitting that tension between the Jew and Gentile 
of trying to like fix this division that's going on. Yeah. And I think that just illuminates all of the, the theology that's so rich yes. in the book of Romans. And, uh, you know, speaking of theology, like this passage that you brought out is full of amazing theology. And so we just want to hop right in here in, uh, starting in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Right from the get-go, we see one of the things that was causing this debate. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with the New Testament and the tradition of the Jewish people, there was a lot of things, you know, food, laws, or circumcision, and it's all encapsulated in this word law here. So I'm wondering if you could help us unpack what is entailed in this one simple word law, because I know in America we think of laws and we might have a different understanding of them. So what is Paul meaning when he says the word law? Well, I think here, I mean, there's always so much, if you get into it and what Paul's perspective, like there's something called the new perspective on Paul. There's all these different kind of debates about what Paul is really getting at really what the Jewish audience, maybe the Jewish or Gentile audience was actually thinking when they heard this. And ultimately, there's a part of that that might be a little bit in, inscrutable for us as people who live 2000 years later. But on the one hand, we know that he's talking about Old Testament laws. So when right, you look at right. uh, the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the Bible, there's all these laws, especially Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, all these laws given by God at Mount Sinai to Moses, to the Israelites. And there was a sense of this is the way that a follower of God is going to live. And so when you brought up law, it would bring up things like the Ten Commandments, but it would bring up all of those standards, all of those kind of precepts, those things that were how people were supposed to live, all this kind of uh, the ways in which people would live to demonstrate that they were part of God's people. They had allegiance to God, the God of Israel. Mm. And even when it says, um, it says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, when it says law and prophets, whenever you see that, it's really talking about the Old Testament scriptures as a whole. Mm -hmm. When you mm -hmm. see law and prophets, that's just a little shorthand um, for all those books in the Old Testament that testify about who God is and what he's like and his relationship to his people. And so even here, as modern people, or maybe people in the, in uh, in the United States, maybe we're we're not thinking about. It doesn't evoke the same uh, thoughts for us a lot of times. It doesn't evoke for us like, oh yeah, Ten Commandments. It doesn't evoke for us like all those rules in the um, in the Old Testament. But I think it still applies in the same way, where it's just it's evoking for us that there are some ways that people believe they can earn favor with God. And maybe they don't even think, you may not even thinking about God. They can earn favor with the universe, a favorable like spiritual reality. If I'm a, you know, I talked a little bit on, uh, on Sunday about being, some people try to be a good person or they try to earn their way. And I think big picture, when you back up, Paul's addressing this, this inner motivation of the human heart to try to achieve, try to earn it, all these different things. And so right here, he's saying, listen, there's a way there's, we can know God, be a part of his righteousness, apart from any kind of rule, any kind of earning, any kind of achievement. And I think it's this new thing uh, that people, that he's trying to enlighten people to, to see it's not about 
your fidelity to any sort of rule. It's not about your fidelity to any sort of action and behavior. It's about something that's apart from all of that, a gracious gift from God. You know, one of the things you mentioned, the law and the prophets being like the Old Testament. One of the things I appreciate about the Old Testament is that these laws that you're mentioning are just interwoven into the story of Israel. And I think that probably had some impact on this conversation here because the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, one received the law and one didn't. And so it leads right up to the next part of this verse, which Paul is saying, yeah, regardless of that, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this is Man, the golden passage of Romans 3, right? This is the one that a lot of us heard. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet I think the context again helps us illuminate like what he's trying to do here. He's trying to bring these two parties together. And when I think about that, I think that is such a bold strategy. Yeah. To say, hey, here's my uniting strategy. We all sin. Yeah. (laughs) And it, it begs the question, where does this conversation about our own sinfulness um, fit into our lives? Is there a healthy way to think about our sin that can bring this kind of unity? Or yeah. is it dangerous to do that? I know some churches lean more on like hammering the head on your sin or yeah. like some churches don't even address it. Yeah. So where does this conversation about sin, where should it fit so that we can... Um, become healthy Christians. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was thinking a lot about this. And even as I was preparing the message, I had this part that I, um, at the end, I even just kind of paid reference to uh, kind of this idea of no showboating or no, no, no earning, no achieving allowed. Right. And I think there's those kind of like sways and it can be kind of what's the cultural um, theme of the moment. But man, like, I think that starting from a place of inability to do it on your own, recognizing that, okay, I am not doing this. I'm not able to do this on my own. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not good enough. I cannot earn it. I cannot achieve it. I think it is a unifying, uh, it can be so unifying because it recognize it has a, it's a humble posture. We're starting off at the same level. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me, you know, with apart from Christ, Neither of us are any closer to God than right. anyone else. Mm. I feel like there's something like amazing about that. And there's something that recognizes the magnitude of what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. There's something about the goodness of God that even though we are so far down on the totem pole, that God loves us enough to say, I care about you. I cherish you. I want, I desire a relationship with you. I desire for you to be a part, to be numbered among my sons and my daughters, man, there's something about that where we start there where we're all on the same level. You know, I think about like what what the church is like, what it's supposed to be like. It's this representation. Uh, the kingdom of God is a representation of all people of every tribe and every nation, every mm-hmm. tongue. Mm-hmm. I think about in Revelation, um, John, the writer of Revelation, is looking out and he sees this scene of this scene of what, what's going to be like to be a part, the fully realized kingdom of God. He says he saw people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We're all there. Everyone is there. And I think that's what this is too. Like that we're all in the same place, but we're all beloved by God, given a free gift of grace. And it reminds us over and over and over again. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on what your, your neighbor does or what this people, whoever you're sitting next to in church does. 
It's about what Christ has done for you. And so you're starting in the same place and you're journeying on the same road together. So would you say that the perspective on sin and thinking about that, does it ever become dangerous? Does it ever become too much? Like when, when do we know, when can we tell that that's actually become too much? I mean, there's those, there's different things. One it's there's a pride factor. So if you think like, I don't, you're looking at someone, you see someone make a mistake, you see someone sin. I mean, we see people do that all the time. Maybe they, they're gossiping. Maybe they're using unkind words. Maybe they're, maybe they're outright abusive or we see someone in our church that, you know, they got into a fight. They went to jail for various reasons. They, you know, embezzled money or something like that. And it's easy to start thinking of, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, it's, it kind of is cliche. But it's just true. We all are prone to do that. Okay, at least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not, and you know, sinful in that way. And that's just that's a dangerous place to be because it minimizes your own sin. It starts to you start to rationalize like maybe you don't need the grace as much, and it makes you judgmental towards your brother or sister in Christ, or it makes you judgmental towards someone who's outside the faith. So there's a danger there. There's also probably a greater danger, uh, maybe in our kind of culture and context, of just starting to feel that you are unworthy um, and giving more weight to your sin than God does. You know, yeah. when we're rescued, there's this, it, I kept trying to draw this out um, in, in my, in my sermon is just, it's remarkable when we talk, when you see these passages about how we are saved, how we're made righteous, declared righteous before God, how we gain entrance into his kingdom, how we become adopted as sons and daughters it never ceases to amaze me how little it is that we do. There's nothing about what we right, do. Right. It's all about what God has done. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's all about the cross. It's all about the resurrection, all those different things. Nothing about us. There's no action in there. I mean, think about that word faith. Um, it's a Greek Greek word that really is it's pistis, mm-hmm. which speaks to not like faith sometimes is just, uh, we give it just this religiousness to it. But faith is is trust. Mm-hmm. It's belief. It's putting your trust in something or someone else. It's this faith in Jesus Christ. It's we're saying, okay, I can't do it on my own. So I am trusting that the scriptures are true. I'm trusting that Jesus' perfect life, his sinless uh, death on the cross, his resurrection of the de- I'm tr- uh, resurrection from the grave. I'm trusting that that is powerful enough to make me righteous before a holy God. And so I think when we start to sin is we have to recognize sin. If you don't recognize your own need for something, if you don't recognize, if you don't have uh, these moments of realizing, man, I need rescue. Mm-hmm. I need salvation. I am not good enough. Then you can't trust in the work of Jesus because you don't believe that you need it. So I think right. that mo- all of us, we in our heart of hearts, we understand that. And when we see that, we're going to be reminded that we can't earn it. And that should be a relief. Mm-hmm. We're going to realize that we're not good enough on our own. And we can be gra- we can be filled with gratitude because even though we didn't have enough, God was gracious and he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to do the work for us so that we might be received into his kingdom. And it gives us that, again, that humble right perspective with our brothers and sisters and all those outside of the faith. Mm-hmm. Man, just a desire that they would know the freedom, the liberty, the salvation that can be found in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I think uh, 
one of the things I heard about faith was that it's one of the paradoxical things that it's the moment that you decide to surrender, you know, yeah. it's like the anti-action yes. thing. So, um, faith, it's central to this theme. And, uh, that's where, uh, Paul picks up in verses 25 to 26, which brings us to the age old skeptic question. Oh, very good. So I'm going to look at this passage through the lens of a skeptic here and yeah. ask you a hard hitting question. Sure. So verses 25 and 26, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received. And here's the word by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So here's the skeptical lens in all of this. Um, it says that Christ did something to demonstrate his righteousness. And what we know in the book of Romans is that God presented Christ as a sacrifice through the shedding of his blood. Now, if you're an outsider to the Christian faith and you're hearing us talk about like blood and, you know, all this gory stuff, you might be turned off by this. Like, why did God's plan involve so much bloodshed like why couldn't god just snap his fingers and demonstrate his righteousness in that way or why couldn't god you know swoop us up just like he did with elijah why did god have to go through this bloodshed to demonstrate his righteousness and and create this pathway of faith that we're talking about man i mean this is all what it is the age-old question it is that (laughs) kind of question we all wrestle with but here's part of this we're dealing in god's economy Okay, so let's just, uh, if you, when you're around me and you, you'll, maybe you're having the opportunity to hear me, you'll know, like I get, I can be pretty comfortable with not knowing all the specific details of like the actual minute whys of this, because I'm (laughs) not sure. I mean, is God, you know, it's one of those, uh, you know, those questions that kids might ask that's like, can God make a rock heavy enough that he can't lift it or something like that? (laughs) And it's like the, why can't he do that? I think on the one hand, we can say he's holy, he's perfectly just, he does all these things right, he is perfect in all those different ways, but kind of at the end of the day, when you get to the the end of the road on that question of like, why? I'm not sure why. I'm not totally sure why, apart from what God tells me. But what I do know is I think that all of us, really, when we're honest with ourselves, we can actually, we actually believe and affirm that sin, that evil, that wickedness should have a cost, Mm -hmm. should have a cost. I think we can all agree that we think about like war criminals. We think about murderers. We think about people who have done these wicked acts and we think there's, they deserve a punishment. They deserve a consequence. Mm -hmm. And I think let's even go back. Let's, okay. We can say that about murderers and, you know, evil dictators or things like that. I think all of us internally, we feel shame when we, we miss the mark when we blow it or when we intentionally do something. Maybe there's things that you did in your past and at the time you felt like you were justified and now you feel a deep sense of shame. You know, you've probably heard that. You've probably said this to yourself or you probably um, heard people say this, like you think about something that you've done or reflect on something that you did in your past and you feel like that sense of, uh, quote, I want to crawl into a corner and die. 
just that how much shame there is. And you think about that, like, and you think about what Jesus did. Now, maybe right now you don't think, well, my particular sins, my particular faults haven't uh, earned me death. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine that you believe that. But think about what Jesus was doing. Jesus was dying for not this, just your sins, but the sins of the entire world, mm. of all of humanity throughout all of time and history, mm-hmm. past, present, and future. That's where he's doing. Now think about all the ba- like the evil, the wickedness of the world. Man, like we know that the kind of cumulative effect of that at the very least, let's just start there. There's yeah. There's a consequence for that. Right. And and God like I love this part where, you know, there's this idea that runs throughout scripture. You know, right here it says it's in his divine forbearance. Um elsewhere it talks about God being long suffering. Mm-hmm. He's long he just he is patient. He withholds uh, the fullness of the actual deserved consequence. Mm-hmm. And really, I think a lot of times we we start thinking about, gosh, um, why did it have to be this way? Instead, like when I read things like this, I think, wow, isn't it so incredible that God is so gracious that even while we're far from him, even while we're still living in this sin, even while we're dead in our sin, that's when Christ died for us. And that's when we're, and he's still just being patient, long suffering in all those different ways. And so for us, like in the old Testament, there was a sacrifice of animals. Um, it just to remind, to remind people, like, look, you just think like you look at the old Testament laws, like, Mm -hmm. and how you'd have to say, like, here's the kind of prescribed sacrifice that you have to give, uh, to use, uh, to offer up to God for this sin. Like it feels like you'd be in that temple, like constantly, <laughs> constantly. Right. And it reminds you like, man, like I have people probably realized very quickly, like I have a sin problem. Right. I've got a problem following the law. And now G- God sent his son, Jesus, to be the last sacrifice. We don't do it anymore. You'll know, In a Christian church, you probably you noticed on Sunday, we did not sacrifice any animals. No blood <laughs> was shed on the stage, uh, which is great. But because Christ has done it once and for all. He's done all these, he's done this work for our sake. The like final blood has been shed for the for sin. It was Jesus. And now if we receive that, mm-hmm. if we let that wash over us, mm-hmm. we're declared righteous. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the line and we can celebrate. So for you, maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, this is this that's okay. You can there's a work that God can do and there's some wrestling with God. There's wrestling that I do with God. Like why, why couldn't you just snap your fingers? Why couldn't it just be done? But when I reflect on that, like Jesus dying for the sins of the world, is there a real consequence that there are actual consequences for this, the, all the evil, all the horrible things that have been done? Like, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think our soul resonates with that. Yeah. And I think if you have a problem with minimizing your sin, which I, I think a thing you, a phrase you just used in this podcast I think this passage is kind of hits it right on, you know, Romans one through three, just talking about everybody sinning and then yeah. looking at the cost that it, it caused us. And that's exactly where Paul goes in verses 27 to 30. If sin is this big of an issue yeah, and we're all falling short, his next words out of his mouth say, where then is boasting? Yeah. It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works no, because of the law that requires faith. Yeah. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So you can hear hints of Paul bringing together these two parties um, through the sacrificial atonement of Jesus, and it's by faith. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but think over the last three weeks now, we've heard these couple phrases. We've heard progress and presence, not perfection Mm -hmm. on Father's Day from Pastor Danny. Pressing, not perfection from Pastor James. And now from you, Pastor Ryan, we already have the high ground. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, it seems like there is this theme emerging out of this summer playlist series where I don't think we collaborated on this one. We said, nope. hey, just <laughs> pick a song and like, we'll, we'll run with it. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like the common theme, even in Pastor Larry's where he talked about Ecclesiastes, of all these attempts to grab at something and yeah. to, to pull our way to the higher ground, as you were saying. Yeah. Why do you think the Lord, maybe on a grand scale, has led our church to this right. theme, but also on like a personal scale for you? Yeah. Uh, why did the Lord lead you to this particular theme in this very moment? Yeah, I think part of it is you see this all the time in the scriptures. You see it because it, it resonates with the human heart. Right. It resonates with the soul. Um, I kind of mentioned that our head and our hearts are are oriented. That's just how it is to earning, to achieving, uh, to trying to make it on our own. Th- that's just where we are. And so I think that, and we live, I mean, gosh, look at where we live. Mm-hmm. We live in the San Francisco Bay area. It is the seat of, I mean, is there a place that has a higher, <laughs> you know, kind of achievement factor? Yeah. Is there a place that has, you know, more CEOs and CFOs at a place that has more business people, you know, whatever it is, like the the best school, some of the best schools in the country, all those different things. And so we live, not only are we just kind of naturally oriented towards that, but we live in a place that's saturated with it. I mean, mm-hmm. gosh. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a part of that where it's just, it just, res- you're right. I mean, uh, I helped kind of put together the series <laughs> and, uh, and I was listening to Pastor James Westbrook last week and I thought, okay, we're all taught, like God is doing, stirring something here, right? Like the Holy right. Spirit's at work um, in our lives. And I know for me, like you asked, for me personally, man, I've shared this at, uh, already at, at church when I've uh, spoken and I shared a little bit of it on Sunday, but that's, that's me. I am a per like I, I spend so much of my life having to, God doing a work in this area of my life that I feel like, okay, I know God loves me. I mean, this is the constant attitude I'm battling in my heart, own heart is this idea of like, I know God loves me. I know that I am saved by grace through faith, but if I worked a little harder, then I'd have more of God's favor. Right. If I worked a little, if I was doing a little bit better, then I'd, um, I don't know. Like, I think that I'd just be in a, I, I believe this kind of lie that I'll be more loved, Right. right. that I'll be more accepted. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lie. I mean, I just think about with my kids. I mean, when they're obeying, things are nicer, but I don't love them more. You know, like I really don't. I mean, when I don't, it doesn't make me feel like, oh, you know, my son Mason, when he's obeying, it doesn't make me feel like he's definitely, he's he's uh, 100% my son. And when he's being, uh, you know, not doing the things I'm telling him, like, well, now he's 80%. No, he's 100% my son all the time. He has my favor and my love. 
Um, so there's certainly something, you know, Paul talks about, like, there's still this theme of pressing on, of reaching towards a goal, as pa- Pastor James Westbrook told us. Uh, there's a part of that, but it's not additive. It's not contributing to anything more. And so I think this theme comes up because it's just such a, it's such a part of the fallen human condition to really believe that we have to, or we should uh, contribute to earning favor with God and with others. It's such an amazing thing how the Lord strings together things because, uh, you know, maybe the singer songwriters that we're choosing are struggling with the same issue, which, you know, artists are called to try and find something that resonates with the human soul and, you know, create art around it. Yeah. So I wonder if there's something there. Um, Absolutely. And this passage in particular ends at verse 31 and it says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And I wanted to end the podcast episode on this verse because I think this verse carries a lot of what you were saying of this feeling that, yes, maybe you listening might have faith, but then there's this like temptation to want to work harder and earn more love. And what you're saying is we already have the high ground. We are already 100% sons and daughters of God. There's nothing we can do more that's going to make him love us more. There's nothing, you know, there's, we're in. And yet we feel this need to work. But the question here in verse 31 is it seems like he's talking now of upholding the law. Mm -hmm. And I think this goes to your final point in the, in the sermon, which mentioned you are now free to live and grow Mm -hmm. in the same way. Pastor James last week said you're free to start striving and reaching and stretching for Jesus. Um, and just like Pastor Danny was talking about, you're free to make progress and, yeah. and be present in these situations. Yeah. So I already kind of give gave a little hint of like what upholding the law means. Yeah. But what do you think this looks like for people that you're right, yeah. are born in the East Bay? We really yeah. want to do well yeah. in life. Yeah. We want to live good lives. We want to do honest work. Yeah. Like how does this life work out? knowing that we have the high ground. Yeah. I think I I don't always like going just straight back to the analogy of marriage, but it is one of those analogies that God has given us as a representation of our relationship with him. Um, And just relationships in general, this, this does not just apply to marriages. So there's like, there's a really, but it, but it's really easy for it to kind of uh, fully represent itself in a marriage context. So when I got married to Jess, I committed to loving her and to, uh, we committed to loving each other till death do us part mm-hmm. throughout all these different circumstances, anything like that. Right. So there's a way, and we, those of us who are married or have any relation, we can have relationships that are out of obligation or relationships that are, uh, from a seat and a place of joy and of acceptance and of love. So in, in a friend, you can have a friend or in a marriage, like, all right, like I, I have to love this person. You know what I mean? Like you feel like I have to care for this person. I have to deal with this person. I have to tolerate this person or in a marriage relationship. Like I made a lifelong commitment and you know, so that means I, I should probably get a gift for anniversaries and birthdays. I should probably, you know, do my share around the house. 
you know, maybe we've been in a season like that with a relationship or marriage or something like that, where we're really working out of a sense of obligation. And yeah, that's where we're going from. That's the source is just obligation. And then there's times where you have a relationship or in a marriage or something, anything like that, where it's just like, okay, I am where we are. This relationship is solid. It is, we are together and I want to do these things. Like you're inspired. You're feeling like, man, I want to like, uh, like I like to give gifts. And so I'll, I'll have like a, li- please don't, I'm not like the, per- <laughs> but I like to give gifts. So I don't know what that means, but I like to give gifts. So I'll have like a list of things that I want to give Jess. And I like want get excited about it. I get excited to like, to bless her. And I decided to do things like that. Like that's a different type of relationship, right? It's not one out of just this pressure. Like I got to perform, I got to achieve, I got to give a gift or Jess won't like me or this person won't like me. It's out of a, like, we're good. I want to keep like, I want to make this thing better. I want to make it grow. I want to mm-hmm. make it mm-hmm. uh, the best it can be. Mm-hmm. And I think on like, there, there's that kind of, that kind of relationship we have with God where it's not going to get better. In ter- God's not going to feel better about us. Uh, he loves us. He's perfect. He's holy. He's out there. He he cares for us so deeply. He's ever present, even when we're not as present with him. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, like we can have just a relationship with God that's kind of like, okay, God, like you save me. Thanks. I'll just, I'll put in the nine to five of like sure. relationship with you and I'll do the things you asked me to do. Or he can have those things where it's like, man, like God is so incredible. I want to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. I want to be the person that he's called me to be. I want to keep growing. It's not out of this pressure. Like I got to perform for God, but it's out of this deep contentment and joy and Mm -hmm. acceptance. It's this different. Well, it's this different source. And I think we all resonate and know what that's like. We know times in life where a relation, any kind like a friendship is so easy that you just like, you want to invest in it. You want to be there. You can't wait to spend time with a person and to, to help like, and you'll do just things to help nurture and grow that. And we know times in life where we have people in a relationship in our life that's just, all right, I'm doing this out of obligation. And I think the exact same thing is true with God. And we and we have a relationship with God that's not one where it's, okay, I got to do this so he'll love me more. I got to do this so I can maintain, you know, maybe you think you might fall in and out of God's grace depending on how you behave. When you live like that, it's going to be up, your life's going to be up and down. You're going to feel mm-hmm. up and down. You're going to feel out of obligation, not out of freedom. That's mm-hmm. going to feel like imprisonment. That's going to feel like you have some sort of chain on you. Mm. But when you live in that kind of freedom of grace and the goodness of his love, there's some joy that comes out of it. Even those days where you're not like when you're feeling low and you kind of like your attention gets drawn back to God and it changes things. It makes things, it changes your heart. It changes your countenance and changes everything about your day. Cause you know, you're not trying to achieve something from, uh, for God you're going to receive something from him. Mm-hmm. You're stable, you're secure, and it's just going to change that kind of relationship. It is freeing. It's not uh, It's not a chain. It's not a burden. Yeah, it's such a good analogy to end it on. Um, you know, I'm thinking about this marriage relationship and, you know, one of the ways to uh, bolster that relationship is to have conversations, right, with, yeah. your, with your spouse. And I think that's what we as a church are called to do is cr- facilitate opportunities to... Um, have those conversations and create spaces where you can have conversations with the Lord. And so if you need somebody to pray for you, reach out. Um, If you are looking for those spaces in your schedule, feel free to look to get connected. There's a ton of people here that are creating space in their homes to, to dedicate time to, you know, 
having conversations, prayers, mm-hmm. and uh, reading the scriptures with each other. And so um, I think that's a great analogy, a great starting point for people that are out there feeling like they're enslaved, rather they're living in freedom. And so um, thank you, Stevie Wonder, for the song yeah. Higher Ground. And uh, I guess as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, mm. it's over, Pastor Ryan. We have the higher ground. Very good. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me.